system dial and meet mutual button. You know a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. And a dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes. Trying to learn from what's behind and never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle uh, just to stay between the show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Maxwell Ivy, known around the world as The Blind Blogger, and this is another episode of What's Your Excuse, where I interview guests and help you explode those excuses that are holding you back, and I bring people on the show who have overcome adversity or thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, people who have world-tested advice that can help you move forward, and people who just have to interest, happen to interest, motivate, and inspire me personally. Uh, you can find me at theblindblogger.net, theblindblogger.net. You can also uh, search for the What's Your Excuse show on all your major podcast players. And uh, I just want to mention this just shortly. I do feel for all the people out there who are suffering from the effects of the coronavirus, both those who are physically affected or have loved ones affected, but also those people whose businesses whose forms of entertainment, their religious worship is being negatively affected by the fact that it's just not safe for us to congregate in large groups right now. And I hope that by continuing to record my podcast and by encouraging other podcasters out there to, to, to send out more episodes, we can help encourage, inspire, entertain, and distract people during these times. Uh, and I hope that I do that today with my interview. You can find me at theblindblogger.net. And if you want to get yourself out there more and do podcasts, I am the guy. I've been doing it for seven years, been, over, been on over 200 podcasts myself, and uh, I've helped other friends and clients get booked, and I can help make you the next podcast guest rock star. And just one last thing I want to mention, my sponsor, uh, Create My Voice, Chip and Pam Edwards. Without them, uh, life would not be anywhere near as good for me, as, especially in the area there would have been conferences I wouldn't have been able to attend. And some other things for this podcast I wouldn't have been able to do without them. They help get your podcast and your blog so people can find it on Alexa and Google. They help you create a voice brand. And you can find them by saying, Alexa, play Create My Voice. Or Google, talk to Create My Voice. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way. Just go to createmyvoice.com. All right, today I'm very lucky. I have a, a lady I met uh, through Twitter, a new friend of mine. Uh, she is an author, and she's been an author her entire life, but has recently hit a couple of big milestones for herself in the area of, of publishing. I'm looking forward to talking to her about her personal life and her journey. Her name is Mira Jeffries, and you can find her at mirajeffries.com. She's also on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're on Twitter, I, I highly encourage you to find her because she's one of the most generous, supportive people in the writer and readers communities on Twitter, and you won't be sorry for that. Uh, she grew up in, in a family, a single, uh, her mother was a single mom raising three kids, a lot of poverty, uh, some bullying. Her only out outlet as a child and throughout most of her life has been writing. Uh, nowadays, she's uh, married to her best friend, has six kids, two grandkids. I don't even want to guess how many dogs, cats, and other critters she has in her house. I'm really looking forward to talking to her. Uh, Mira, welcome to What's Your Excuse? Thank you, Max. It's nice to be here with you. Well, it's nice to have you here, too, and it's uh, really good to have 
uh, a new interview, a new conversation to have because um, thanks to some some uh, some family situations for a couple of guests that I had booked, I haven't really gotten to sit down with anybody in over two weeks. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I guess the question I want to know is, before we get into some of this stuff, is how did you discover uh, writing and what about it has helped you to to stay sane and to uh, to be able to to be able to cope with your life throughout everything from from being a young girl when you wrote your first book at eight to now? Well, I actually first discovered writing when I was very young and it was a way for me to deal with the things that were going on around me. You know, I was uh, selectively mute. I didn't really talk to people because I was just um, basically just observing everybody around me. I didn't really like everything that I saw. So I had to get the thoughts that were in my head out and so that's when I picked up a pen and a piece of paper and started writing. And so that's exactly how it is today. You know, I'm 40 something years old and it's still the same. It's therapeutic for me. You know, whenever I feel extremely stressed or, um, you know, things that are not really going according to plan, you know, I need to express those feelings and I'm still a more, um, I'm not going to say an introverted person. I'm very reserved and quiet, but that's how I get my, you know, that's how I get my thoughts out and my feelings and expressions. Okay. Now I've never known anybody who was selectively mute. Was there a particular event that caused you to decide you didn't like talking to people? Um, no, not necessarily. What, what, it, what it was, was um, as a child, you know, um, you mentioned some bullying. I was bullied by family members, you know, and I did suffer a little, some um, abuse at the hands of cousins and so I just didn't want to talk. And also I had um, a speech impediment, which I still have today. I have a slight stammer that, you know, if I don't, if I get extremely nervous, you know, it's, it's hard for me to get my words out. So, um, so all of that, all of those, those, those things made me want to just stay quiet because when I had my stammer, you know, I had cousins who, you know, were just kind of mean and, um, you know, when I was trying to get my, get my thoughts out, they were like, you know, just spit it out already, you know, what's wrong with you? And, you know, just going on and just saying horrible things. But as a child, you take those things that people say, you know, and you really, for me, you know, I, it really affected me as a child and I just didn't want to say anything to anyone. Right. I, uh, I have a woman that I've, I've known for a while. She does a podcast called Yes Ann, and she likes to talk about her parents. She says, by today's standards, her parents would have, been, would have both been abusive. And that kind of sounds like at, at, back at that time, they probably wouldn't have called it bullying because it was a family member or family members, but that's what we would call it today. Exactly, exactly. Yep. And that's the kind of, that's how, you know, the, the Southern family um, dynamics are, you know, either you were tough or you weren't. You know, <laughs> so I wasn't that tough kid. You know, I was never really tough. I was the really quiet, you know, the, the bookworm. So I, I was like the object of many, you know, lots of bullying. I see. Well, since people are probably wondering about it, you say that you still get nervous and get, you still stammer when you get nervous. Um, then what what have you have you told yourself or what techniques have you employed today as you prepared to be on my podcast? <laughs> well, for one thing, yes, I am extremely nervous well, because I, I am having an interview with Max Wiley. Like, oh my <laughs> God. Oh my God. this is like a dream come true, come true. And I'm like, 
I'm like totally like fangirling like right now. Okay. My excitement. Okay. I got to contain it anyways. Um, so some of the things that I do is, um, breathing, you know, just take a deep breath. And then, um, I always say to myself, think about what you want to say before you say it. That's why I've become known as a quiet listener. I, I listen and I wait until my mind processes what I want to say. And then I say it. So that, that comes out sometimes as me talking very deliberately, you know, and that's purposely done because when I get really excited, you know, like when we're, you know, within friends and we're talking and along with my Southern slang, it can, everything comes out sounding like gibberish. So I make it a point to talk very deliberately. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to help you out with a couple of things here and I'm sharing these, not just for you, but for my audience, because I think some of them are probably going through the same things. First off, I am nobody special. I am not no big shit. Um, I grew up in a family of carnival owners. I grew up doing bookings. I've spent, I spent 20, 20 years probably having no choice but to be an extrovert when I really didn't want to be. The only way I could, could work a game on the midway and, and as people walk by go, say, you want to play the game or say it's three ducks for it. The only way I could do this, I had to have a script. I had, I could only, I could only say whatever words I planned to say. And if somebody came up and said, you know, that's a, you know, Max, you really should be doing it this way. That ruined my whole day. And sometimes I'd just be quiet the rest of the night and hope somebody walked up and handed me their money. Right. The other, the other thing is, is just, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a fanboy. It happens to all of us. Just this last week I was speaking in Orlando at a conference and I had to be in two different places on the same day. The first half of the day, I was in a group learning how to be a better speaker and how to get more speaking gigs. The second half of the day, I'm going to go give a talk to podcasters and encourage them to start their podcast. So after lunch, I go in, I'm sitting in the back of the room, and people keep saying, yeah, we're looking forward to hearing what Dave says in the second half. And they go to start the second half, and it turns out that Dave is Dave Jackson. Now, Dave oh. Jackson is the founder of School for Podcasting. He is big shit. He is, he is a big-time podcaster. He has started probably 20 shows of his own and probably hundreds of shows for other people. And so I'm sitting in the back of the room. I, I went through half a bag of Lifesavers and had to do deep breathing myself. So we all, we all have things that scare us. Some of us don't, just don't look scared while we're doing it. And that's you – know, so, so I wanted to share that with you. So you – you you wrote then and you write now in order to uh, to get yourself out. Now, what was it like when you wrote that uh, first book? Was it what was it? Fox and Duck or Ducks and Duck and Fox? Uh, and it yeah. ended up getting it ended up getting uh, published or representing your your entire grade or your entire school. How did you yeah. deal with that as a as somebody who's who's generally shy? That was very 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 exciting because I, I just did my best. I mean. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I, they, they said, write a book. And I wrote a story, <laughs> you know, I was like, this is great. This, I get a chance to do what I want to do. So I wrote the story and, and turned it into the teacher. And then she came to me later and said, Hey, you know, yours was great because we wrote the story and we had to actually make the book. And she said, your story was chosen, you know, among the whole grade. And we're going to, we're going to um, send it on to, um, more awards or whatever. And then, but before they sent it on, they put it in the, in the, the lunchroom, you know, and it had my name underneath it. I was so proud, you know, but you know, it was like, because of the family dynamics at that time, I couldn't really 
you know, share that. I shared it with my mother, you know, she was so proud of me, you know, but that was it. That's as far as it went. So I really, um, I really couldn't um, be as happy about my first publication as I could be, you know, as most people could be, but I kept that as one of those milestones that was forever, that forever changed me because I said to myself, if I could do this now, you know, this is what I truly want to do. Because I knew then that's what I wanted to do because it made people happy. You know, I, I saw people reading my story and then smiles, you know, came across their faces. And that was very, very liberating for me because it made me realize that I can make a change. And even at a young age like that, I wanted to make a change in people's lives. Okay. And I noticed something you were, were, were the way you were describing what happened is it didn't, it doesn't sound like you thought you were writing a book. It sounds like you thought you were just telling a story. And I'm wondering if maybe that allowed you to write the book. And if maybe that's one of the things that gets in the way of people who want to be authors is that they make the project too big for themselves. Yeah. Yes, I agree. It's like when you have an idea, okay, when you have an idea, it's best to just stick really make little small milestones, you know, one chapter at a time. Because if you say to yourself, if you sit down and say, I'm going to write a book, and you just start out with the first 50, 50 words, and you want to write a full length novel, and that's going to be extremely like a huge undertaking, extremely huge undertaking, and just taking it in little small steps. You're telling a story one scene at a time. Yeah. Um, and I also find that people I talk to that are really good as far as producing uh, a lot of content and as far as books goes, um, they generally find lots of things in their lives as, oppor as opportunities for storytelling. Uh, what do you think? I agree. Um, because there are a lot of elements that I have in my novel, Archer, that were is a good opportunity to tell a story and teach a lesson, you know, because writers have a lot of power, you know, and so do producers who produce movies and they have a lot of power in their hands to literally change the world. You can change the world one story at a time. It may sound a little cliche, but it's true. You know, you can change a person's view and their outlook on life by telling a story that's, you know, either good or bad, you know, so I, I choose to do, you know, make, Good outcomes and happy endings. Menu, and, and one system Friday ten Maxwell Friday ten sixty Zoom. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that uh, that you do that, and I think more people need to consider the story they're telling and the people they're telling it for, the people that can benefit from it, as opposed to thinking I'm going to I'm going to write this book and I'm going to become famous or rich or both. Uh, are you still yes, there? I, yes, yeah. I'm here. And I, I also agree because, you know, the whole, my whole publishing journey was um, for my parents, you know, and um, that's one of the main things I, I brought to the fore when I um, started getting active on Twitter, you know, I wrote my, my book for my parents, you know, and if it sells, you know, that's awesome, you know, but even if it doesn't, you know, I wrote it for them, you know, and they're happy knowing that I accomplished something and I did it for them. You know, it's just one of those things to, you know, you have your parents who, without them, you can't be the person, you know, you can't even, you wouldn't have been even alive. So, you know, that was my way of paying them back and thanking them for what they've done for me. Right. Why don't you tell people the name of the book and a little bit about it, and then also mention your 
your road trip and the and the feelings you you experienced when you actually delivered the first copy to your parents? Um, well, the story my my book is called Archer, and I'm going to hold up a little so you can see that is a little backwards, but it's called Archer, and it's a story of um, a Southern dynamic family, you know, and story about forgiveness, redemption, love, friendship, all of the dynamics that make up a family, and it was, it's one of those things that once the story idea popped up into my head, it stayed with me for a very long time. You know, I had been thinking about it for almost a year before I actually sat down because due to a lot of things in my personal life, you know, with whatever, um, I wasn't able to get it started as soon as I wanted to. But once I got it down on paper, you know, it was just going straight forward from there. But I wanted to tell the story in a way that if anyone is experiencing anything, that the main characters were experiencing. They were able to see that you can get past hardships and you can get past um, things that may prevent you from um, moving forward in your life. You know, a lot of people are running away from their demons of their past or they have a lot of trauma that prevents them from doing things. And this story is, is just a way to let people know that who may be experiencing that, that you can overcome it. There are ways to over, overcome it, you know, and um, yep. and I feel as though I have the freedom of speech to say that because I've overcome a lot of trauma, you know, and just being able to pour my emotions into this book was really great because that was also therapeutic for me. And regarding my, my road trip, um, this is the second road trip that I've taken, you know, to deliver books. But, you know, this one kind of kind of came a little, little weird because of the coronavirus but the first one my grand my father was actually had just had um an emergency amputation surgery and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get the book in time because I had ordered the the proof copy just so I can be able to show it to him because a lot of things were going on I wasn't really sure what was going to happen with him you know he had developed he's diabetic so he had developed gangrene in both of his legs and one of them had to be amputated. So I was a little stressed out driving all the way down. But before I left home, the book came just the day before I left home. So I was able to, I was like, yes, it's here. So I was able to, you know, deliver the book to my dad. And he was like, whoa, this is awesome. You know, and it made me so happy because here he was, you know, um, just having emergency surgery. He, you know, his life has dramatically changed with losing his leg. And then, but he, he held my book and he said over to the guy in the next bed, he was like, Hey, th this is my daughter's book. And she just wrote this, you know, my daughter's an author, you know, and it just made me so happy. And that was so, it was life changing for me because I saw that no matter what, you know, my dad was proud of me and that's all that mattered. Yeah. And, um, I want to get the books in order here. I was actually asking about your first book because that's about the time we started com connecting on Twitter. What's the name of the book you wrote for your parents? That's the one I was. Uh, oh, yeah. I wrote, okay. I wrote them both. So my, my short story was the first one. Okay. okay. The short story was um, A Time to Dance. And yeah. that was um, that was just a, a, a short 25-page short story, you know, and that one got rave reviews. It's I think it has an average of 4.8 reviews all, all across um, Goodreads and Apple and um, um, it's on Amazon also now, you know, and uh, the people that read it really liked it because it was a very wholesome short story, you know, and, and that's, 
that's my style. You know, I like to write wholesome short, short stories that anyone can read. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned something there that I've never really, I, I, I pride myself on being somebody who, who focuses on experiences, especially small experiences. But, you know, you just mentioned something there that I've never really, I've never really paid attention to, and I, I should have. Um, I, know the, I know how good it makes me feel whenever I hold a copy of one of my new books in my hands, and, I'm, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. But I uh, never really focused on the experience of friends and family the first time they, they see one of my books in print. So I'll have to, I'll have to pay more attention to that in the future. So talk about holding your book in your, in your hand for the first time, since you've already talked about your dad calling you his daughter and, and an author. Oh yeah. Well, the, um, you know, the novel is the only book that I actually have in my hand um, at this time. And that was, that was great. It, it's one of those feelings that you can't really explain. You just can, you just experience it, you know, and it was one of those things where, you know, I opened up the box and it's like a baby, you know, everybody says that. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, this is my baby, you know, and that's exactly what it is because you created it. You created the characters inside of it. And, and, and here it is in living color in your hands. And that is like the best feeling ever, you know, and even if, you know, I always joke, it's like, even if no one likes it, I like it, you know, and yeah. um, I remember um, I remember hearing someone on Twitter say, you know, even if even it's like a baby, even if your baby's ugly, you know, it's still beautiful to you. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as an ugly baby. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. And so, you know, in, 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 in regards to a, a novel, you know, it was, it, it was the most satisfying experience ever to actually hold a novel in my hands. And the, it was, it was just a beautiful experience for me. Right. Now, for people who haven't published, but they're thinking about publishing, and most of you are probably thinking about ebooks, but there's a couple of things about print copies of your books that I need to mention. One is there, it's, it's great to announce to the world that your book has gone live on Amazon, but nothing compares to holding a print copy in your hands. Uh, I think we already know you agree with me on that one. Yes. The other thing is there's a process to, to creating a print book, and for Amazon and other companies, it's different than the process of creating an ebook because the print book has to look good when it's printed, whereas the ebook only has to look good on screen. And so there are some different uh, restrictions you have to follow. And so in order to avoid Amazon sending out books that you say, well, those books were garbage. I'm not paying for them. Amazon requires you to order what's called a review copy. And, and sometimes you order more than one review copy. So you submit your book, including your cover art and any art you have in the book. And then you purchase a review copy. They send it out to you and you look through it and make sure that it came out in print just the way it was when you submitted it. And then once you do that, you reply back to Amazon that, ever, that everything is great. Or you go back to the, document you've submitted and try to fix it and then you order another review copy and that's that's the process as far as a print book goes but and it's it's really not all that bad but it is different and so you know there can be a there can be a pretty good delay between the time you submit your ebook and the time you actually get to hold that print book in your hand and it does build up some anticipation and also some dread to where when you open that box it is something it is really something um yeah 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 but the last thing is, is that for authors, for, and a lot of you have been told you don't need to do a print book. But the one thing I am finding is, is that 
when I tell somebody I'm an author that they're like, oh, no, not another one of them idiots. <laughs> but if I tell them I'm, I'm an author and then ask if they want to see one of my books and then I pull one of my books out of my messenger bag and show it to them, the conversation changes. And I'm just wondering if you've experienced any of that as far as your book now that you have some in print. Well, yeah, sometimes I actually don't experience that because um, the people that I surround my life with, you know, a lot of them don't really know the different many, the many different levels that I have to myself, you know, cause I'm, I'm a very multi-layered person. And then when they do find out that I'm an author and they actually see the book in my hands, they're like, wow, it's like that wow factor, you know? But, you know, I was like, I do have family members who are like, oh, whatever, you've been writing all your life, you know, <laughs> oh, whatever, you know, and, it, and it's like, okay, because you have to have both because that balances out because you can't have so many athletes and, and people thinking so positively of you. And then you don't have any negative thoughts, you know, because it's, it's not going to be very balanced. You know, I take the negative and the positive and, and, and just keep it moving because, you know, in the end, it's what you know, what you are capable of doing. That's what it comes down to, because as an author, it doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter what people think about your writing skills, but if you just give your very best, that's all it, that's all it matters. Just give your very best and write a good story. You know, that's what makes an author. Right. Well, in my opinion, I don't have in, in my personal situation, I don't have any uh, real negative uh, responses to any of my work online or any of my books. And I want to, I want to follow that up by saying, I do not want nor need a troll or haters, uh, but I, <laughs> but I find I'm, I find there's more negative stuff running around in my head than there is online about my books. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I don't need a troll either. So guys stay away. <laughs> I don't need a troll or <laughs> negativity, please. No, but yeah, that's true. You know, it's all in our heads and, you know, I've seen a lot of, um, of our author friends on Twitter, you know, expressing the same thing is it's that little voice in your head that says, you're not good enough, or this story is not good enough, but we just need to learn how to make that voice a little quieter, you know, it's, it's always going to be there because that's a part of human nature, but we just got to make sure that as authors, we just continue to put forth our best and continue to say to ourselves, this is good enough. This is going to be good enough. Uh, one of the things that I get asked a lot by podcast hosts is, um, do you ever get over those thoughts that, uh, when you, when it comes to, when, with more books, do you get over those thoughts? And my personal opinion is you don't get over it. You just get better with dealing with it. Now you've, you've published twice now and you've published, you've published a lot of other things that most of our listeners probably don't know about, but does it, does it get easier? Does it go away or do you just get better at handling it? You get better for me personally. I get better at handling it. Yes. You know, I have published, um, hundreds, maybe thousands of other, you know, um, articles. I used to work as a ghostwriter, so I'm, I'm no new person to writing. Um, but as right now in this phase of my life is important, it was important for me to do this for me. You know, you can, it's one thing to write for other people. It's another thing to write for yourself. But to answer your question, yes, it does get better for me. It gets easier dealing with those, those negative thoughts because they will come, you know, or the first negative review that you get, you know, it's like, ah, like I had, um, of my first short story, I had a three star and 
I was like, wow, she didn't really like my story, you know, but in the end, I was like, it's a three-star review, and I totally appreciate her opinion, because I value this viewer's, um, this reviewer's opinion, like, really highly, and it's like, okay, so not everybody is going to like what we do, you know, not everybody's going to like your story, not everybody's going to like your book as a whole, you know, and that's totally okay, but it, we, we can't take one person's, or two people's, or five people's negative reviews, and make that you know, everything about our lives, you know, as authors, you know, we could easily just lay down and stop working, but we can't do that. Yeah. I love how you approach that three-star review because there's a lot of conversations online about what do you do about a bad review, whether it's on your, uh, your book or your podcast, what do you do? And it's usually, it's usually more of a technical thing. Do you complain about it? Do you call them out? Do you write about it? Do you try to get it removed? But I love what you did and you did what I try to do. And that's, it's an experience. It's part of the process. And the fact that this woman left a review has value, even if I don't agree with it. I just love that. Yeah. Yep. That's how I feel because, and I was even going to reach out to her in particular, you know, with when um, Archer is actually officially released and, and in a way I was like, Oh no, she might not like this one either, but <laughs> at the same time, it's okay if she doesn't, you know, because I value her opinion a lot because she's a, an excellent reviewer online, you know, very, you know, very well known. So, you know, it, it all is about your attitude, you know, it's all about the attitude, you know, a person can give a one-star review and then you, that will totally end your world and it'll, it'll be like, you can, you can lash out against it or you can just keep moving, you know? And that's all there's, there's only two choices for me, at least there's only two choices either to stop or keep moving. Yeah. I'm having a great conversation y'all with uh, Mira Jeffries. You can find her at mirajeffries.com and that's J E F F R E Y S. But of course it'll be in the blog post. Um, she is an, a long time ghostwriter, uh, written many articles for other people and now publishing her own works. And, uh, I do, do uh, hope that y'all will check out her latest book, Archer, which just came out like this week or in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I think the interesting thing about Archer is, is it parallels so many people's lives today in that all of these things happen in Archer because the, I guess, one of the main characters, a, gra a Southern grandmother, has a health emergency. And it seems like we almost have to have a crisis in order to change anymore. That's true. That's true. Yeah. The grandmother is suffering from cancer and the entire family recon re reconvenes to, uh, to help care for her. And that's as far as I'm going to go. Cause y'all need to buy the book. Yes. Uh, please, Max, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. But Max, um, I wanted to say that Archer is available for pre-order. The, the official launch is March 23rd, which is um, an, about a week and a half. March 23rd is the official release but it's available, available for pre-order on um, all major re um, online retailers. All right. So y'all just look for Archer or look for Mira Jeffries or um, I'm sh if, if you, if you send me a link to where the pre, where the pre-launch can be, can be viewed at, I'll make sure that it's, it's, it gets out there as well. Um, now let's talk a little bit about your, about your freelance work because you know, there's some people that they don't want to write a book, but they, they love writing and they would like to make a little money or they would like to get to have the experience of having their work published in a, 
in a magazine. So would you tell people a little bit about your, about the, your process as it was when you were doing that more, as far as, you know, how did you get the work? How difficult was it to actually get selected? And then um, what kind of, what kind of, of, of document or article link type stuff were we talking about? Okay. Um, well, first it, I, that was, um, I was doing a majority of my freelancing work when my life, my situation in life changed. And I found myself going from being a work at home mom to a single mother of three kids and having to support them. And so I needed to do something and just starting out, I already knew you have to have the confidence. You have to know that you can write, you know, and um, you can't go on into the freelance world with just a thinking like maybe I can write. No, you have to be confident knowing that what you write is good stuff and people will want to use your skill. So it was, it was a little difficult at first only because just breaking into the market was difficult because there was so much competition and um, American writers actually have a lot of competition with overseas writers because a lot of, um, for instance, um, webmasters who, who have a lot of content or websites that have a lot of content, they really do outsource the work for cheap. You know, that's just being honest. And Americans, we have different prices than um, providers overseas. So that's where the, the struggle is when you are, you say, for instance, either a British writer or an American English writer, and you have overseas writers who um, will actually do the same work for like $1 per article when you are charging wow. $25 per article, you know, same level of skill, but they charge cheaper. So that's where the, that's where the struggle is. But the key is having a portfolio that showcases what you can do, you know, and make sure that your portfolio has articles or any kind of writing samples, you know, that are error free, because that exactly is what they're looking for. If you have, you know, a portfolio that has errors riddled all through your work, no, they're going to pass you by, just showcase your best work. And then, and, and then just be competitive, you know, and don't be afraid to wiggle you know, wiggle your prices a little bit, negotiate, or don't be afraid to, I had to offer free work starting out only because I started out offering free work to people to get the contract and then be like, okay, you like my work. So let's, let's talk real money now. You know, <laughs> we, we, we shouldn't be afraid to, um, you know, offer pro bono work, you know, but if you don't want to do that, but don't be afraid to, you know, wiggle your prices, you know, um, being negotiable. Yeah, just uh, and just so you know, Elizabeth uh, Gilbert, who's known for Eat, Pray, Love, I, I read her book Big Magic a couple years ago, and um, she she has done lots of uh, freelance writing before, during, and after the book and the movie deal. And her thing is is that it's it's not really respectful to your gift to def to expect your your book to support you completely. So she continues to write. So you're in. You're in very good company with other writers who've been, you know, very successful, but continue to do the freelance work because that's what has always paid the bills. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So now you mentioned going from being a stay-at-home mom to a single mom. At that point, how many kids did you have? And would you be willing to talk about it just a little bit for the listeners? Sure. Uh, help them understand how you were able to make, 
how you're able to just keep going and make that uh, make the transition and then to actually what appears to me to be successful in that transition? Well, it wasn't easy. The transition was, wasn't easy. It was like a totally different lifestyle. Um, I married um, when I was 18 years old. You know, I got married when I was 18 years old, and I have uh, three natural children. Um, and so three children produced from that marriage. And so at that time when I realized that my first marriage was over, um, I just prepared myself and I already knew what I had to do, you know, and it was a little scary because the, the fact of the matter is I was working um, when I got married at the age of 18 and I had been out of the market, out of the work, work, the workforce for a long time, you know, for a long time. <laughs> so anyone looking at my, anyone looking at my resume, will be like, wow, the last time you worked was 1999. Really? You know, like, that was a long time, but it was really intimidating. So what I did is I um, got a job with my friend. It was like a little part-time job at um, an office, you know, an office place. It was a virtual office and I learned skills that I needed, you know, in the, you know, in, in the field that I wanted to go in, which was business administration. I did not have, I do not have any um, uh, college degrees in business administration, but I learned it was on the job training. Everything that I can do now, I learned how to do myself, you know, because of one thing or the other. And I couldn't, you know, get the actual, you know, education for it, but I made that transition. It was hard. It was very emotional because I, you know, I was dependent on someone, you know, 24 seven. And then it was only me that I was dependent on, you know, and the children were looking at me like, Oh my gosh, ma, well, we need, you know, and then it automatically flew me back to growing up (laughs) because it was three of us when I was a child and my mom was a single mom. And I was like, Oh my gosh, how did I, how did this happen? You know, but I decided in my mind that I was not going to be a, a statistic. I was not going to be that. I was going to do something and I was going to excel over what in my mind people would expect of me. People, I felt as though being from the South, people expected, you know, an, you know, an African American mother to have just a lot of kids and be single, you know, and I was like, I'm not going to do that. And it, that's just a, one of those things that I was not happy with, you know, and I said, I'm going to do something with myself, you know, and so that's where the freelancing came in. And I just put myself out there. It was very, um, I was very, um, felt exposed and vulnerable to the world. But over time, maybe within a couple of months, people saw the, the, the quality of my writing and they kept hiring me so much so that I was like, I need to turn down some work because I don't have time to do all of this. <laughs> you know, I had, I had many clients from all over the world. You know, um, I had oil industry clients from this Saudi Arabia. I had clients in the UK. I mean, literally all over the world. And I was very blessed to actually, you know, be able to acquire those, those clients and just being very brand new, fresh in the freelancing market, you know, but I just attribute it all to attitude and faith and knowing that regardless of what happens, you know, you just got to keep moving. There's, there's no turning back. I don't believe in, in regressing and backtracking. That's not even an option. Right. And now, and nowadays you're working for, you're you're working for some sort of a of a corporate thing now, correct? I mean, yes, I am. Yeah, because at one point you mentioned on Twitter that you now have to give talks in front of hundreds of people at a time, and 
Of course, that's probably on hold for now for a while, but how does somebody who stammers and was bullied as a kid for her speech, how do you do that? Oh, very, like I said, you know, I just learn the, the, the key to not, you know, being overwhelmed by a stammer is to be very calm, you know, and to know your material that you're presenting. You have to know your material that you're presenting or the nervousness is going to overwhelm you. And, and that's exactly what I have to do. I have to be very calm and practice breathing, you know, and very deliberate speech, you know, and, and, and yes, you know, I work in a corporate situation, but at the same time, it, it, me, myself, I'm still this person that you see in front of, or, you know, that I am right now, the person that I'm represented right now. I know, I know what you meant. I know we, us blind <laughs> people use saw and look, we're using words. Um, yeah. But I, but I, I love it. I, I get a kick out of it when you know people try to tap dance, tap dance around whether or not I should say those words to Max. So I appreciate us. It's giving me a little bit of a chuckle there. Um, so now, <laughs> so that means that when it comes to speaking, me and you would be totally different speakers because you would have to be totally organized. You would have to have notes and bullet points and probably slides. Me, I go up there. I have a playlist of stories I'm going to tell and points I want to make. But we. Would have, we would most likely be totally different speakers, I would imagine. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have to be very organized and know exactly what I'm going to say. And it's, if, I, if I veer off my topic, you know, it's, that's, that's really bad for me because <laughs> I'll just, like, start on another subject and, and I'll be like, how did I get here? You know, and I can't remember how I got there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I would imagine your philosophy of just keep of just continuing to move forward. You would, you would finish the talk either way, you know. And something about as long as you finish, people seem to re- regard your work well. That's right. As long as you finish. Yeah, as long as you finish. As long as you finish. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So now you've you've written the long short story, A Time to Dance, and Archer comes out in a week and a half or so. So I'm going to ask you the question I hate the most. What are you planning to do next? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I do have um, a couple of um, works in progress that I really need to finish, that I really want to finish. I have one story that's like maybe a quarter, uh, I don't know, maybe 50% done that I had to put on hold. And I really want to get that story finished. And maybe I was thinking toward the end of the year to be able to publish a couple of more, um, um, maybe a novella-sized books. So publishing is basically in the future for me, you know, because I'm, it's great to have this great milestone to publish a novel, but it's kind of like, once you're done, you have to do more. It's like one of those things as you're a writer, you have to keep writing, you know, you're always going to have some, another idea, you know? Yeah. I find that it's not a shortage of ideas. It's a shortage of time and energy and, and other stuff getting in the way. Um, I've actually told other writers that the most dangerous thing you can do is write a first book. <laughs> uh, yes, that's exactly true. Because the, the first book that you write, you're going to be like, oh, as soon as you're almost done with that first one, you can, you're already thinking about the second one. That's my problem. You know, <laughs> I have all these ideas. And just like you said, there's a lot of time constraints. Uh, I wrote my second book. It's not the cookie. It's the bag because I didn't want to fix my third, my, my other second book. So I, <laughs> I, 
Yeah, I was working. I was working on a memoir from earlier in my life, and I I had like sixty thousand words worth of stuff all in one big tangled ball of yarn file. And I was like, Do I really want to make sense of this, or maybe I'll just start another book? And that's what I did. And <laughs> other authors get a real big laugh out of that. Max, you started another book because you didn't want to finish the book you were writing. Exactly, right. that's what I did. Hey, there's um, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um. Yeah. So is what is there is there one thing besides just just continuing to keep going that you would would like to leave my listeners and viewers with uh, before we finish here? Um, what are you asking again? Um, is there one piece of advice other than just continuing to keep going that you'd like to leave people with? Yes. OK, I, I was thinking about that. And the one thing that. I would like to say is there are a lot of people that have encountered negativity. Okay. okay. And negativity tends to stifle creativity. Okay. Negativity and creativity cannot go together. So the main thing that I would like to say to people who are trying to write is to drown out the negativity. You know, it's like, especially if you have an online presence, particularly Twitter, and you see negativity, just drown it out, mute it, block it, do whatever you have to do because negativity is extremely dangerous for someone's creative, you know, creative abilities. Even mine, you know, sometimes I try to make sure that my presence is, it's all about positive, you know, being positive and upbuilding, but even sometimes even some little negativity can slip in there and it's just like, oh man, you know, really, you know, but at the same time, you can't let people get under your skin. You know, um, human relationships are very, very, very different at times. But as writers, in order for you to get from point A to point B, my advice is just to drown out any kind of negativity. And if you have negativity in your life, um, make sure that you have more positive, positive things. Say more positive things. Do positive things. Just make people's, you have to be the light. You know, you have to be the light in your life if you have a lot of negativity surrounding you, because that way, you know, your creativity can can flourish, you know, and I hope that makes sense, you know, because in this world that we're living in, there's so much negative things, but you have to be the light in your world. You have to be the light. And, and, and in that way, people can can just just take it in, you know, people that are around you, you know, they'll be encouraged. You know, it's all about encouraging one another and encouraging yourself. Right. And um, as I as I notice, I have some time left. Um, what do you what do your kids think about your writing? And um, maybe you want to talk about I think one of your younger ones just started doing some creative stuff with his own uh, video game or video or slideshow or something like that animation. Maybe it was. Yeah, that's that's my baby, Lucas. And, you know, he all, all of my kids, they love the fact that I've written a book. But Lucas is my number one fan. You know, I remember one day he, he came in when I was um, in uh, writing something when it was still a work in progress, Archer was, and he was peeking over my shoulder and I paused just to think. 
And, and then he was like, keep going, keep going. That's great. This is good. This is good. You know, and just having his motivation and, and his enthusiasm was great for me. And he keeps saying to me, I cannot believe you wrote a, a, wrote a book, mom. That is like the greatest thing ever. You know, I am so proud of you. And just hearing that from my kids, it makes me happy, you know, and for him, he's more, he's into cooking, you know, he wants to be a chef. So he's been reaching out to all of these um, celebrity chefs and, and it makes his day when, when, they, when they respond back to him, like um, um, Amanda Freitag and also Reed Drummond, the Pioneer Woman. They both had responded back to him when he um, wanted me to post something. And that literally made his day. <laughs> yeah, I love that because I was one of the people trying to help him get that woman to reply back to him. And I thought that was really cool when she did. And you know, it's, it shows the positive nature of social media and of, people, of being online in general. It's just, it's just more often than not, it's the negative stuff that makes the news and yes. people doing really cool stuff like that pioneer woman did for your, for your son. That's, that's really cool stuff, but it just doesn't make the news very often. Exactly. But we can, and that's why my whole purpose with my presence is to, just to be positive and upbuilding because even though the things that I say may not make the news, it may change a person's day. And that's all that matters to me. If it changes one person's day, then I've been successful at least for that day. Yeah, y'all. And if she thinks you're being negative, she will drop that emoticon on you where the police lights are coming and tell you to cut it out. <laughs> cut that out. Oh, God. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so Thanks, for those, and for those people who are wondering, how does the blind guy know about the emoticons? Well, the, the company that approves all the, all the emoticons requires that they come with a, with an alternative text tag so that my screen reader can tell me what they're saying. And sometimes, sometimes those emoticon descriptions don't match up with the emoticon, but I think that I can pr be pretty safe that when it says police car light revolving, that's some bad stuff going down. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh yes. You got me, Max. You got me. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Really <laughs> Darn. Yeah. I I was one. I was also wanting to ask you: Do you do, do? Are people are? Do you think people are going to ask you if Archer is maybe a little closer to your real life than than fiction because you live in a small town in Kansas and you're from a small town in Georgia? Yes, the ones who have actually already read it, you know, they they have asked me: Is this based on your life? And I do tell them there are many aspects in the story that are based on my life, but not all, you know, it's a, fictional, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fictional story, but I did use a lot of little aspects about things that happened or went on when I was growing up, you know, and the people who actually know me and was grow and who lived around me growing up, they will recognize those little things, you know, and it's, it's like a, it's like a tribute, you know, certain things happen that weren't very good in the book, but yeah, at the same yeah. time, there are a lot of good things that happen, you know, but yes, to answer the question, there are some aspects that, you know, did happen, but not, it's not all about my life. Yeah. Yeah. All I know is that for, for the time that I've spent living in South Carolina over my lifetime, um, I think that the, I think that the character descriptions and the language is very accurate for the, for the location. And I think it's, it's, I think people should not be surprised that, um, that pretty much everybody in this book drinks sweet iced tea because <laughs> trust me you ain't you ain't lived till you've been to a restaurant in Jonesville South Carolina and asked for unsweet tea that's that's an adventure there 
Oh yes, I know. It's it's one of those things. That's the house wine of the South. You know, the house wine of the South. I'm gonna have to remember that. I tell you, <laughs> I tell you, I really enjoyed this mirror. I know you say you've been looking forward to talking to me, but uh, I've been looking forward to having you on since we've connected on Twitter and uh, and, and become friends through it. And uh, I hope this won't be the last time we have you on the show. Um, maybe when they turn one of your books into a movie or something, we can get you back and you'll, <laughs> you'll remember us from before you were famous and that sort of stuff. So, Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And I can never forget the blind blogger. Thank you so much, Max. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, Resume recording. All right. I've really enjoyed my conversation with Mira. We had another great interview today on what's your excuse. And I think the most uh, important message you can take from her today, or well, maybe there's a couple, one is we just have to keep going, keep moving forward, keep uh, finding a way and continuing to endure and persevere. And the other being that you have, to, you have to stamp out the negative in your life, which probably also means you have to encourage the positive to come into your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very happy with that. Um, you can find her at mirajeffries.com. And, of course, you can find me at theblindblogger.net, which is where you can purchase my books, the latest of which is The Blind Blogger's New York City Adventures, How You Can Make Your Dreams Come True. You can also uh, sign up for my mailing list and be notified when my next book comes out, which we don't have a title for it yet, but it's about my experiences traveling the country during my first attempt at promoting my books via public speaking and book signings. Um, traveled to cities including Philadelphia, Buffalo, Lake Jackson, and, uh, and Jonesville, South Carolina over about six weeks and lots of lessons in there, including how I managed to do it with almost no money. Cause I know a lot of people put off doing things like that because they can't afford it yet. So find that all at theblindblogger.net until next time. Um, oh yeah, be sure and check out the sponsor, create my voice. Uh, CreateMyVoice.com, Alexa, play Create My Voice, Google Talk to Create My Voice. So until next time, thank you and take care out there. This is the blind blogger trying to talk over that girl over in the corner. And uh, I really do appreciate y'all and I'll see y'all next time. Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away. Till what we put off to tomorrow has finally come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide. Stop I say I've I've been saying that stupid part. I've been saying that part for my commercial for weeks now, and she hasn't noticed for she 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 hasn't noticed me. I've been sneaking past her, but today. Cancel. Yes. Do you want to stop cloud recording? Yes. Bye.